Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, if you were going to take a guess on the number of Big Macs sold in a year, and by one or two people want to take a guess. Nope, nobody? Three million. Three million. One more? What was that? Three million? One billion. 550 million Big Macs are sold a year. Somebody in the back row is like, yeah, I don't buy like 20 billion of those a year. Uh, all right, so on average, each location, each 14,000 locations in the United States sells 40,000 Big Macs per year. So when you drive past McDonald's and Clayton say, oh, y'all sold 40,000 Big Macs in the last year. And this is so much so uh, for the, the sandwich that McDonald's didn't originally want. Uh, Jim Delegati, who is the creator of the Big Mac, owned uh, McDonald's and a, a ton of franchises in the uh, Pittsburgh Uniontown area of Pennsylvania, and he created the sandwich. And uh, he, he then started distributing it to all 47 locations he had at the time. And uh, this was taking place in, in 1968. But at first, McDonald's completely resisted it. Uh, they didn't want it because they said, why would we want to take away from our simple lineup of hamburgers, cheeseburgers, fries, and milkshakes? And little did they know that that sandwich literally make them billions, if not trillions, of dollars. Now, here's some fun facts about the Big Mac. Did you know it has 563 calories in it, 33 grams of fat, 44 grams of carbs, and 1,007 milligrams of sodium? If you add fries and a drink to it, uh, you'll be sitting at a whopping 1,080 calories per day. That's just half of what doctors say you should consume in a given day. Nothing says America like the Big Mac. <laughs> Did you know that the Big Mac is actually uh, better for you nutritionally than McDonald's salads? So next time you go to McDonald's and think by eating a salad you're eating healthier, you are not. McDonald's puts oil on their lettuce to make it last longer. The dressing and all the extra things you add to it, actually you're better off eating a Big Mac. So there's something to be said about fast food. Uh, the creator of uh, the Big Mac lived to the age of 98, and he claimed that he ate a Big Mac every single day. Did you know that the creator of the Cobb salad died when he was 71? So there's got to be some science in there between those types of things. In 1970, Americans spent $6 billion on fast food, and they're saying by the year 2020, we will spend on average of $223 billion. From the McGriddle to the Chalupa, from KFC's Chicken Bowl to Bojangles' delicious seasons as uh, fries. We love fast food in this country. In fact, one in four people tend to eat fast food every single day. That's about 10% of our disposable income is given towards fast food. Uh, to manage our cravings, the industry produces over 300,000 fast food restaurants in America. Uh, Kentucky should no longer call themselves the bluegrass state. They should call themselves the fast food state because they have the highest per capita of fast food restaurants to population. Okay, this is the last fun fact I'll give you on fast food. Uh, Americans consume 70 million tater tots a year. That's so much created from the shreds of uh, leftover from making the fries. So uh, once you get your own tots, if you will. 
French author uh, Antoine Bretal Savarin had this famous saying, and it goes in English like this. Tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. Or the translation is, you are what you eat. So when my mom says to me that if you eat watermelon seeds, you're going to grow a watermelon plant within you, uh, that might have been a slight lie. But when she says to me, it's not a good idea for you to eat chili cheese fries every single day, it will take its toll, at least financially from all the, the Pepto, the Charmin Ultra packs you'll be buying, and the Santac as well. Health experts have said that everything we consume has some sort of effect on our body. Um, it not only affects the inside, but also affects the outside. What we eat affects us mentally and physically and socially and emotionally and relationally. And it's a bit overwhelming to know that what we eat can directly lead to high blood pressure and stress and heart disease and making good decisions and whether or not we sink into depression or run away from it, whether or not we see the world in a positive light. A 2012 study found that 52% of Americans believe that doing their taxes is easier than figuring out the right way of eating. It's no wonder Americans consume 31% of packaged food. Get this, 20% of Americans eat meals on the go. I'm guilty of it. Breakfast and lunch, I eat in my car almost every single day. So what does this have to do with our faith journey? Like, is Mosaic about to go into one of those, like, consumer Christian fasting trends? No, <laughs> I couldn't tell you that. We're going to be using, over the next five weeks, food as a running illustration to have a conversation about the type of spirituality we are consuming in our life. So no, we are not going to tell you what you need to eat and not eat. We're just going to let food be a running illustration for us. So take a look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, uh, and so if you want to go past Psalms, which is dead center of the Bible, flip past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Isaiah. As you're turning your Bibles, just a reminder, we do have free Bibles on the guest services table, and so if you don't have one, take one, take it home with you as well. Jeremiah 29, 11. Mark, you mind if we, can we turn mine down just a little bit? The verse goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. All right, great. Andy, why are we reading this verse? I don't see food in there unless you know some sort of weird, you would know some sort of weird Hebrew translation of what's happening there around food. The irony of us reading Jeremiah 29, 11 is that most of us don't even have to turn there because we know the verse by heart. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 is ranked year in, year out as the most popular verse of scripture quoted. It competes with John 3, 16 and Philippians 4, 13. Jeremiah 29.11 shares the spotlight with other scripture verses that had 69 million times it was used on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and over email and text over the last year. It's a powerful verse. It speaks of God's providence and promise and instills hope within us. It can make anyone who is feeling that they're in difficult circumstances feel that there is something better. So I know you're thinking to yourself, what's wrong with the verse, Andy? You've got that cynical look on your face. For me, the overusage of this verse personifies, it's a, a microcosm of American spirituality. Human nature tends towards what is fast and easy and comfortable, and this verse speaks to that again and again and again. 
human nature tends towards what is fast, easy, and comfortable. That's why we tend to eat things that are fast, easy, and comfortable. For far too many, our spirituality echoes our eating habits. We crave salt and sweet, processed food that is quick and cheap and temporarily satisfying. And so if what we ingest directly affects our bodies on the inside and outside, I want us to consider for just a second if what we consume emotionally and mentally, how that affects our soul from the inside out. Fast, quick, cheap and easy spirituality is exactly what it appears to be. The American spiritual landscape is a fascinating thing. On one hand, we tend to model our spiritual lives around our cultural lives. Americans tend to consumerism and comfort and security and prosperity. So what do you think we tend to do spiritually with our lives? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to make you prosper and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Is that not the American dream? And so we tend to that spiritually speaking. This type of American spirituality can best be summed up in the cute, clever sayings that we put on our walls, the 140 character sound bites that we want to put on social media, the wisdom for the mega church pastor's books, a willingness to accept whatever the pundits and, and prominent religious groups are telling us what we need to believe than actually consuming a deeper spirituality in our life. So Jeremiah 29:11 personifies American spirituality. And on the other hand, American spirituality is in a shifting landscape. Individuals holding fast to religion is declining in our country, yet more people have indicated that they're interested in a spiritual life than ever before. As one author put it, what it means to be spiritual and how that looks in practice in our life is rapidly and diversifying and change. The market for spirituality in America has never been more vigorous when it comes to spiritual coaches and gurus, to self-help resources, to avenues of dialogue, to retreat centers. It is a $27 billion a year industry. The trend towards megachurches on the rise because it's easier to find a church that fits with exactly the programs you want and so that you can simply be a face in the crowd as we consume what it is we want in our lives. We have claimed that the primary place that we want to go for spirituality is on the internet as more people seek and drive for community and spiritual conversations there. It's a confusing landscape. People are more spiritual but less religious. I think one author put it perfectly when he said this. Think of spiritual but not religious stance as this. Spirituality? Yes. God? Probably. A specific religion? Not for me. But at least seeking? No, not really. Not a priority. The detrimental effect on the church could not be more complete. It's akin to having a world full of people open and interested in coffee, but purposely driving past Starbucks with complete disdain. In reality, the trends that heighten American spirituality are exactly why I want us to engage in this five-week conversation on the type of spirituality we are consuming. If Americans are becoming more spiritual, then it's important that we are examining what type of spirituality we are consuming. 
And since we live in a culture of convenience, of expecting quick results and temporary satisfaction to be overwhelmingly gratified, if, if our spirituality reflects our tendency to desire processed, salty, and comfortable food, are we only interested in spirituality that we can download in 140 characters? In simple sound bites that fit into our worldview and our schedules and our security, are we seeking that type of depth in our faith? Is that true connectivity to the God who desperately desires to journey with us each day? Does the church community have an influence on our daily lives? Where are we going for our spirituality? What and how often are we consuming it? These are the difficult questions I've been wrestling with. Did you know that in Australia, uh, Pizza Hut has a hot dog stuffed pizza? True Johnston County people are thinking, is it a red hot dog in there? Because if it is, I'm going to eat it. In some European countries, uh, McDonald's is serving a uh, hamburger with a Nutella spread. In Japan, Burger King has gone to the dark side because they have created a burger that comes with black cheese, a black bun, and they use uh, squid ink to dye this onion garlic sauce they have on the inside. KFC has completely gone off the deep end because they have a bacon-topped beef patty that is sandwiched in between two fried chicken pieces that serve as the bun. The Pittsburgh Pirates have introduced a new way of doing a hot dog. This is crazy. Uh, what that is is macaroni and cheese topped on a hot dog with salt caramel sauce, fried jalapenos, and Cracker Jacks. And it's so big they can't even use a hot dog bun. They're using nan bread to wrap around it. Fast food joints are doing this not for the sake of creating nonsense because people eat this stuff. That's the crazy thing when you think about it. The, the primary philosophy of fast food is this. It is value food, what? Made to order. And I wonder if that's the type of spirituality we seek in our lives. Without even recognizing it, God has turned into the teenager that's at the order menu waiting for us to tell God what we want. And so we might treat God something like this. God, if it's at all possible, actually scratch that. God, this is what you're going to ordain in my life. This decision I'm about to make, I want you to ordain it. If it's out of possible, you'll give me the best job, the best house to live in, the best spouse, the best kids, a conflict-free life. It would be really nice if I wouldn't have to pay much for this. Minimal amount of sacrifice would be perfect. I don't really want this to take too long, so uh, get to it. This is the made-to-order spirituality that has not come by an accident. It is a product of our culture. And it's caused by several things that's really easy when you think about it. We are, number one, a people of commodity. We want what we want, when we want it, and we want that to fit into our spiritual lives. The second thing that happens is we are people of circumstances and situation. We engage in things if and only if it is to our benefit. The third thing that makes this possible is deep spirituality is completely counterintuitive. Deep spirituality makes no sense in a world of, of gratification and materialism and individuality. So why, why would we just do the difficult stuff when we can just ignore it for the things that are fast and easy and comfortable? And the final thing that really causes this is despite our advancements educationally, we tend to do insane things. <laughs> 
We tend to repeat the same cycles in our life, thinking we're going to get the same satisfaction and gratification from things over and over again, expecting a different result. And insanity makes sense until you are told that what you are doing is insane. So I realize that I am preaching the least like, popular message in America this morning. I realize that this is not something that all of us want to dig into. In fact, I'll go even tell you that I am not quick to jump on board with this stuff. I go kicking and screaming because I find myself a product of a quick and comfortable and fast spirituality. But somebody has to stand up and start waving their hands and saying, is this what God desires for us? In 2014, filmmaker Morgan Spurlock released a documentary called uh, Supersize Me. Y'all remember this? Spurlock's film runs a 30-day period from February 1st to, to March the 2nd of 2003, where he went to McDonald's and ate every single meal he could have, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, every day for 30 days. And the film documents the lifestyle effects it makes on his life, not only physically, but psychologically well-being. It explores how the fast food industry, uh, the corporations influence our life by ignoring the nutritional facts of their actual product. And the result after 30 days, the filmmaker gained 24 pounds, had a 13% increase in his body mass index, and his cholesterol was absolutely through the roof. His physicians were surprised that he hadn't deteriorated faster than he actually did. And it notes that, that what he consumed, no one should actually consume over a period of eight years, let alone 30 days. They told him that literally if he did not stop doing this, it was going to kill his body. And it took Spurlock 14 months to lose the weight that he had gained from the fast food by going through some sort of crazy vegan diet that came up. But what he did was he brought to light the hypocrisy of the fast food industry. What he brought to light was that they were masking what they were selling. It transformed the industry that really they rebranded and repackaged what they have today and presented as fresh and healthy, right? Again, salad at McDonald's has more calories than a Big Mac, right? So let's, let's go with the assumption for just a second that, that you are what you eat, that that philosophy is correct. That has repercussions on our life. The same can be said if we are consuming unhealthy spiritual practices in our life. There has to be repercussions. If we crave and consume salty and sweet and processed spirituality, if we want what is quick and cheap and easy and temporary fulfilling, what are the results? What do the advertisers say? What are the results may vary from person to person. What do you want me to tell you? What do you really want to hear? What do you want me to say that will make myself feel better? When we consume a spirituality that is quick and easy, the result of a faith that has no depth and no longevity to it, when we intake only what will satisfy us, then we have no safeguards in our life to remind us that we don't necessarily know what is right and good and noble and true. When we consume what is unhealthy, then should we that be surprised if our, if our life personifies impatience and anger and frustration and negativity 
and grudges and inferiority and instability and disloyalty. When we intake disdain and indifference, culturally accepting prejudice and self-centeredness, what do we think is going to happen? So what do I need to say to myself? What do we need to do with all this? I think the first step that we have to realize is that we have to embrace the diagnosis of spiritual degradation. We need to embrace the fact that if this is what we are intaking, it is literally killing our soul. And the fascinating thing about all this is we're speaking about a soul that the God of the universe created. The God of the universe uniquely crafted each and every single one of us, giving us gifts and strengths and passions, giving us a, a, a unique perspective on this world. This is the soul, the very fabric of our existence. This is the gift that God has given us. It makes us who we are. It enables us to see life more vibrantly and connects us deeper to the creator that wants to put everything into motion in this world. So what you and I think is going on when we, when we feed ourselves crap, the spiritual consumption of a Big Mac value meal with supersized fries and a soda, we have to realize that it's soul degradation. That this is the diagnosis that we have to embrace. In 1992, I've been like playing with this bottle of water the whole time. Like, I'm going to take a sip. Maybe I'm not going to take a sip. Let me put it down. I'm going to take a sip, okay? My allergies are killing me. Mark is over here laughing at me. I had one cough drop in my book bag and I took it out and it stuck to the paper. And I was like trying to get it off. <laughs> I said, who cares? It popped in my mouth. So I have like half a wrapper in my mouth. In 1992, a 79-year-old woman named Stella Lineback bought a cup of coffee at a McDonald's through the drive-thru. This is Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she was sitting in the passenger seat with her grandson, and she placed the coffee in between her knees um, and took the top off, and she wanted to put the cream and sugar inside as a way of mixing it. And uh, what happened was the coffee spilled into her lap, and she suffered third-degree burns. And what makes this story so unique is that she then sued McDonald's over the fact that hot coffee spilled all in her lap. And the jury awarded her $160,000 for compensatory damages, and then they reduced that from uh, $200,000, and they said because she was to blame 20% uh, for this. But then she was awarded $2.7 million for punitive damages. Now, in this woman's defense, at the time, McDonald's coffee was averaging right around 190 degrees. That's really, really hot. However, why in the name of Juan Valdez would you put hot coffee in between your thighs? It makes no sense. In November of 21st of 2012, uh, McDonald's faced another class action lawsuit. Two teenagers uh, were trying to sue McDonald's, and their claim was that the, the food giant didn't do the necessary uh, steps of providing the nutritional facts, and as a result, this led to their obesity in their life. The judge threw the case out completely. But these two court cases ra raise a very important question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Who is to blame for our spiritual degradation? Who's to blame? Is culture to blame? 
Because we've always been a people who've been called to live within culture, yet live apart from culture. Some people would say, well, I just I wish we'd go back to the way it used to be. Actually, when you really think about the way it used to be, that's a false assumption where your citizenship is associated with your church membership. It was a time of racism, of segregation, of isolation of people who weren't in the white predominant society, and the vast majority of people lived within this religious landscape. So I don't, I don't think we want to go back to the way it used to be. Is the church to blame? Could this be that we have created a culture in the last 40 years that has drived the consumerism that we take in each and every Sunday, the fact that we have made faith such an isolated, individualistic thing is the church to blame? I don't think we need to look around and blame anybody else. I don't think I need to stand up here and say, you're to blame. I think what we need to do is examine ourselves to say, maybe we play a part in this. I think if we looked at the full context of Jeremiah 29:11, which we're going to do here in just a second, we would be surprised at how scripture can tell us the answer to all this. Jeremiah 29:11, the passage begins really in verse 10 with this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed from Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You see, the real context is the complete antithesis of American spirituality. You see, the people of Israel were not in Israel. They were in exile. They had been taken from their homes, out of their comfort, out of their security, and scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. And this didn't come out of nowhere. In fact, God had been sending prophets for generation after generation. The problem was the people didn't listen. Because the very things the prophet was speaking out against, they blinded themselves to see. And so from the great prophet Isaiah to the latter prophets we see, God sent messengers to warn them that their spirituality was misleading. Their worship was empty. Their religious sacrifices were meaningless. Why? Well, it's because the very fabric of their lives contradicted their superficial spiritual endeavors. God wasn't interested in receiving gifts of tithes when their abundant wealth came from taking advantage of the poor. God didn't care that their sacrifices were given at the temple when they were giving their bodies as a sacrifice to their life of prosperity. God would not listen to their prayers when their words to their neighbors were full of disdain and gossip and hatred. They landed themselves in Babylon because their conscious decision to take a spiritual life that was meaningless and empty and fleeting and cheap. So the words that Jeremiah speaks is not at the pinnacle of prosperity. It's in the very depths of spiritual degradation. And he says to them, after 70 years, I love that. <laughs> 
next week, not next year, not a couple years after that, after 70 years. He's calling them to a lifetime of spiritual commitment. Not a quick fix, not something that's cheap and easy. It's an invitation. Verse 12 says that when you call on me and come to me in prayer, I will listen to you. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It is a call away from cheap and unhealthy and fleeting spirituality. It's a call to deep, meaningful, long-lasting, developmental journey with God. And God didn't make an if-then statement. Because God knew that if people actually came to God in prayer, in seeking, and following, that their lives would be transformed. There's many ways for us to keep ourselves in checks and balances, and it comes when we come before God each and every day of our lives. Is this really the spirituality that God desires? Or is it easier for us to pick and choose what we want and when we want it? Are we interested in a fast, quick, cheap, and easy spirituality? But is that what God has in mind for us? What God desires for us is something more. What if God desires something that's healthy and vibrant and refreshing to our soul that brings restoration and well-being and transformation in our lives and in the world around us? Where do we go for that type of spirituality? How long does it take? What will it cost? Will it be difficult? We are at our core divine creatures. We have been created with a potential for so much more. And the divine is calling us to healing, to modification, to redirection. This series is an invitation to engage in a deeper spirituality dialogue about how God is calling us to journey with God each day through Christ because God desires something vibrant and healthy and refreshing to our lives. Each week, I want us to wrestle with what kind of spirituality we are consuming. Let's pray together. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.